You're listening to Arcade Brigade. Get gamified. Get your coin updates. Let's get some coin updates. Today's the birthday podcast. Oh, yeah. Your boy, Peter Perez, turns 36 today. Leveling up. See, that's not. we're not getting old. We're not getting old. Nope. You're just leveling up. That's all that means. Level 36. What level are you? Anyway, let's see where the coin updates are. And look at a Bitcoin. As of this morning, we're looking at $6,331. A small dip over the past 24 hours with uh, 1% change. Ethereum now with a uh, 2% change, looking a little uh, bearish there for the Ethereum, now at $197, IOTA, with a 2% increase over the last 24 hours, now at $0.57. Cents. Dash, over the past 24 hours, we're looking at a almost 4% change there, uh, with a price at $201, Zcash now at $120. A uh, big drop over the past week on that one. That's uh, down 20% over the past seven days. Neo now at $18 with a 15% drop over the past week. Waves uh, seeing some incredible gains on that one over the past 24 hours. We're seeing a 26% increase now at $2.45. Ripple uh, now at $0.27. Cent. Uh, looking at some dips here with a 3% drop over the past 24 hours and almost a 20% drop over the past week. Litecoin, uh, steady declines there in that one, 54 cents. Uh, now down almost 2% over the past 24 hours with a 16% drop over the past week. And that's it for the coins update. Here are some of your headlines over at Coindesk.com. Interstellar arrives, Visa, Citibank chain acquired by Stellar Startup. Bitcoin retains bear bias despite recovery from 25-day low. BitTorrent, corded EOS, Filecoin crypto creators prior to Tron sale. SEC suspends exchange-traded Bitcoin and Ether investment vehicles. WeChat now censoring Bitmain and crypto price prediction accounts. Can Bitcoin save Argentina? Australian state pilot puts driver's licenses on the blockchain. Now check out these headlines and more over at Coindesk.com. And today's special guest is Dan Butchko, founder, CEO of Play Crafting, producer of Play NYC and the Bit Awards, has a fascinating background in the event production space. He provides developers across the U.S. with tools required to get their games off the ground. He does this through approachable, hands-on classes that lower the barrier for entry for folks trying to make games and to empower pros to level up their skills. He hosts everything from local gatherings like expos and demos and plays at industry-recognized events like Play NYC and the largest global game jam site in the U.S. Dan is very much a vanguard for the esports industry. We met back in Vegas during the Esports Travel Summit. Thanks to uh, the folks out there for putting that together. It was a pleasure meeting you, Dan. All of the work that's going on in New York City, you've got your hands on it. I'm excited to have you here so you can talk about it and share uh, some of the revelations or some of the, you know, tr the, the pain points that exist in putting together these events. How are you this morning? I was just thinking how, you know, 
so much goes into the show that is Play NYC, uh, the full-scale convention that is Play NYC, and it takes so much time to put it together and then so much time to recover from it. And that goes for me and uh, the folks on my team, too. So it's been nice to finally sort of be on solid footing again and be able to talk about all the great things that happened at that convention um, and sort of what the path forward looks like from here on out. That's great. And you've started this when? Give me a little bit of history on the aha moment or the, the moment where somebody approached you or you woke up one morning and you were like, this is the vision. I'm going to run full speed. Sure. So uh, we at Playcrafting have been running local events uh, in New York and now in other cities, but in New York originally since way back in 2009 when we were just a meetup group in 2014 to build it into a full scale organization organization in the service of game developers and then eventually also players, fans, and streamers as well. Part of the event lineup that we've been having locally here in New York has been a local expo uh, one time per quarter, so they've been seasonal. Um, it's winter, spring, summer, fall expo once uh, per year, year round uh, since 2014. And by the end of 2016, our expo uh, in October, which is the Halloween Expo, had gotten to the size of about 1,200 people and 150 games without us actually advertising it anywhere. So, um, uh, you know, running a business, you you wish that everything just kind of organically and didn't require a ton of care and attention. And this was one of those areas where the community really defined uh, a need. And to us, um, the, the expo just getting to that scale so quickly without any uh, advertising was an indicator that New York really needs its own full-scale all-games convention. And so we made that decision at the end of 2016 um, and spent a solid six months uh, looking at venues all across the city in the five boroughs. And then we launched it last year in August of 2017. Uh, and that was the first Play NYC. So um, it, it really is something that was completely defined by, for, and with our community. Uh, and when we did it this year, um, just a month ago, it really was a, an upscaled, leveled up version of what we did last year. So uh, for this year's convention, we had over 160 games on site. There were about 300 plus developers and over 5,000 attendees. Um, and really for us, it's all about giving New York its own was enough since games are just a small slice of it. Um, there's a lot in esports that are that's going on now uh, in the New York area as well. But New York didn't have its own expo, its own full scale all games event. So that's what we built. And we are just blown away by what the reception has been so far now with with it having happened twice in a row. And the publishers that come in on board, I imagine this is all kind of platforms from indie games to some of the major titles that kind of want a piece of this. Uh, what, it, what is the, I guess the, when they bring in these titles, is, is there an opportunity here for a type of, instead of just showcasing their event, this is also an opportunity for them to, you know, get that game, get that title out there but are they able to create some tournament platforms around this? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we had a couple of different esports components to this year's event. Um, the main piece was a mini arena on the show floor that was presented by Red Bull. So we had 
competitive FIFA matches happening all weekend long. Um, and then within the booths themselves, a lot of the developers like to set up um, their own uh, mini tournaments throughout the weekend too. Um, on top of that, uh, we'll have competitive play on our main stage. So uh, last year and this year, we had the convention inside of a, a landmark concert venue. And that enables us to have sort of that central stage where you can have um, gameplay debuts, interviews, panels, um, live competitive tournaments as well um, as sort of the focal point of the whole show without taking away from the expo floor that's built out around it. So this year between FIFA on the main floor as well as uh, Killer Queen Arcade, which was just announced at, um, at E3 earlier this year. That game's incredibly that, fun, yes. Yeah, yeah, that, that game's amazing. And uh, that's, a, that's a game that was born here in New York. So um, it, it's one of those things that is both super exciting for the developers to get out there for folks. It's something that's had a lot of legs in terms of the local community. There are Killer Queen communities around the world um, with local tournaments and then connected between as well. And so, and, and it's built here in New York. So it's kind of a win-win all around. Um, eSports is a new component for us um, with us having our start in, um, you know, with game developers primarily. Uh, and then with these larger scale events, bringing in more players and streamers along the way, we want to make sure that we are careful to integrate um, competitive tournaments and, and an esports aspect into the overall experience in a way that is going to just enlighten and amplify the excitement of the event without taking away from any anything within it. So we like having this like mass convention that has a bunch of sub parts that people can kind of like pick and choose to attend throughout. Yeah, there's certain strategies that some of the event producers can take and from what I've noticed and from experience with uh, working with DreamHack is that the the player base themselves can give a lot of input and i mean if we just open up a a place to get that feedback get that funnel going where we ask the audience like what do these tournaments look like in your eyes and right. with a yeah and i mean just like any other business with a customer-led approach right let the let the player let the well, you know the the customer the attendee let them really design what that looks like and you know that that sounds overly simplified uh as to how to go that approach do you guys have a strategy on how to collect some of that data or is that um just kind of coming together organically so, because these, um, these events kind of they do that sometimes they just kind of fall in place for us just in the in the generation of um play nyc in its first year we wanted to make sure that we were really building this with and for our community locally here in new york the strategy from the get-go has been to build this for the folks that are already in that circle and then use it as a way to bring more and more people in. So something that we do that I think is pretty different than a lot of other conventions and large-scale shows is we have something called Play Crew. And it's actually a uh, weekly and bi-weekly meeting in the three to four months leading up to the convention where all of the developers who are signed on as exhibitors at the show are meeting, they're sharing ideas, they're giving pointers on how best to show their games, and they're actually fundamentally contributing to even looks like and what it feels like, because those are our original stakeholders. Those are, they're the reason why Playcrafting is what it is. And for us to just kind of like plop something down on top of the community and say, this is what it is, we wanted to make sure that we integrated their feedback uh, in building the convention from the ground up. So we, we did that again this year, 
Um, and then on top of that, um, now that we have more and more just general players and general audience coming in, uh, things like feedback forms are really crucial for us, as well as making sure that those folks are not just coming back to play NYC a year from now, they're coming to all of our other smaller local events that are happening between now and then, because this isn't just sort of like a supply drop of um, fun <laughs> throughout one weekend, <laughs> yeah. once per year, you know, this is an ongoing, supportive, thriving community. And so um, we want play things like Play NYC to be sort of the gateway to that. And so making sure that uh, feedback is collected uh, at the event and after the event, and then uh, having folks come through the events all year round, we eventually want to see somebody that came in as just a, a fan and a, and a player of games in Play NYC 2018 come back in 2019 showing off a game that they made. And we've seen that already uh, year on year in the past two years. And that, I think, is one of the coolest parts of, of this convention. And with that comes other parts of the industry, too. So certain games that the developers are working on are highly competitive. So that's where you bring in sort of a local esports component. Um, and just with this groundswell, it's just attracted more and more large-scale developers and publishers and partners, too. Now, shifting gears, we spent some time in Vegas getting a chance to share from our perspective what these events could look like in those particular cities and, you know, with those different municipalities that are really trying to ramp up their effort. Different convention centers want to expand into the kind of game, more gamified platform. Were there any areas that, you know, like, appealed to you that you thought maybe play NYC or maybe another format with the creative effort that you're doing has a chance to kind of expand throughout North America. Have you given it some thought? Yeah, you know, I think um, for us, we've constantly been looking at uh, different areas for us to grow Play NYC out to, and it was built right from the start as something that we could bring to other cities. Um, so uh, for us, the areas that we've looked at the most have been uh, Washington, D.C. is one of them. Austin, of course, is another one. Um, and, and those are really sort of the first two key areas that we've been looking into. We have communities in Boston and San Francisco that are really strong on the playcrafting side, but those are markets that are really, really saturated with um, live events and uh, large scale community pieces. So for us, we like to go to these cities that are um, obviously very well known just generally from a tourism perspective um, and just a, a notoriety perspective, but are largely underserved when it comes to um, games and, and the community of, uh, of gamers and developers that are on site. Um, but that being said, I know what worked with New York, so uh, this would not be a strategy where we would just go in and, and plop what worked on New York in a new city. Um, it would be more of a um, let's get something going on the ground for a little while just before we launch Play NYC um, because we're, we don't want to just tell a community what's going to work for them. We want to hear from them before we even launch the first one. So that's really, I think, um, the, the, the different areas that we've been looking into geographically. Um, in terms of event content, esports for sure is a, a, a big piece of, of um, the show that I think we want to build with Play NYC and our other events moving forward. We've seen that even just on the local level. Um, in New York, we did a charity event with Extra Life, the charity, 
um, and we brought together a ton of local streamers and we raised, I think, $15,000 for um, that charity in one weekend in SF. And so seeing sort of how these different uh, uh, communities are embracing esports and are embracing games and what resonates in some places and, and what doesn't otherwise is kind of an art form that is necessary to master uh, for any event to really take off. Now, before the recording, we talked uh, briefly about blockchain and you mentioned an organization called Rupee. Uh, you, there is a driving, there's a big interest in trying to merge and it, it's happening in many instances, uh, the blockchain world and esports and gaming and just trying to gamify really the, uh, the, I guess the incentivization of kind of how tokenization can bring people in and, you know, just like Ready Player One, you know, we may even see, and not as dystopian, you know, but we may see, <laughs> we, may, we may see this culmination of people, you know, starting to thrive within these play environments. I mean, World of Warcraft has, you know, a great use case for an online marketplace. Uh, and so the, how to transition this and how, to, how it translates into live events and signature, you know, um, productions that are happening in convention centers that pathway hasn't been carved out fully yet is rupee heading in that direction or is this more part of an online format that maybe could have some you know uh outlets within the live production space yeah so what rupee is doing is really fascinating and super exciting um they are building out a funding platform uh, built on blockchain that allows for developers to um, get the support from the community uh, financially as they're making the game. And so in real time, um, the community and the, the fans themselves are an active participant in the development process all throughout. And I think Rupee is doing is really exciting because it is putting the power of crowdfunding even more deeply into the hands of um, the fans themselves Excellent. in a way that that just removes barriers. And I think a real synerg synergy that exists between Playcrafting and Rupee is that we've been focused on that on the education side and on the community side, largely in person. Um, and for us, uh, with online communities, we certainly have uh, fostered some of that, um, but the, the, the dominant aspect of playcrafting the community has been in person because we believe that without that in-person connection on some level, it's really hard to build connections between people, even if it is um, just once per year to kind of have a, a touch point for people to connect in person. And so that's where I think Rupee and playcrafting gel really well together. And plus the team is just awesome. The folks on their uh, board are really knowledgeable um, and excited about uh, what the future holds in this space in particular. Um, it sounds like they'll likely be coming back and doing a lot more with Play NYC next year and more with Playcrafting throughout the year. So I like finding um, companies like that that are already sort of, um, you know, forging new ground and going into new territory um, and that are really the experts on it, whereas we're the experts on live in-person community and events and when we can find different puzzle pieces like that that fit together it just is such a win-win all around yeah i can envision this being part of an event app and people in 
right there in front of the exhibit, testing these games, seeing what stage in the development they are, and having the power to really put some energy behind their successes. And and I, th I think this is this is an interesting model to take a look at and you know continue to watch over the next few months, over the next year, and see how really blockchain starts to create more of these uh, more infrastructure. Yes, but we we want to create more access, and I feel like Rupee can help do that. So. Thank you for sharing that, Dan. And um, one last question. This is completely unrelated to uh, any of the previous <laughs> questions, but I typically ask this of everybody just because it's humorous. If you could choose if you, your favorite or maybe a spirit animal, if there were an animal out there that you feel like would most resonate with who you are, uh, what would it be and why? A great question. I thought you were going to ask me for like my desert island <laughs> list of games or something. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my animal spirit, uh, my spirit animal would probably be, it would probably be a deer. And I would say it's because, um, agile. Deer, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Agile, adaptive. Um, that is a, a species and an animal that has survived and thrived even in spite of just the industrialization of their habitat. Oh, for sure. Um, and and they are like there and always um, on the periphery, but having like their own full-scale families and uh, community build out without any people ever really seeing them, except for from time to time. And I like that adaptability and that just strength and honestly the elegance that they have so i'd like to emulate that in my career that is amazing you really thought that out if that's just a complete improv bravo sir i'm gonna give you that deserves bravo. a gg <laughs> like that's that's incredible i mean imagine that being your patronus at some point like we're gonna talk about this again in the future for sure because the the, the i see the uh the correlation that you built there um thank you Again, Dan Butchko, uh, CEO, Play NYC. His, he wears many hats. He does all different types of things. You want to connect with him. He's got plenty of social media out there. You want to give us a plug on some ways that people can connect with you online? Sure, sure. So follow me on Twitter, which is at Dan Butchko, D-A-N, the word butch, and then K-O. Um, follow what we're doing here at Playcrafting at playcrafting.com or at Playcrafting on Twitter. And then for updates on Play NYC, the convention, we which is our biggest event, you can just go to play-nyc.com. All right, Dan. Thanks again, friend. Always appreciate speaking with you. It's always refreshing. And we'll be sure to do this again in the future. Me. Thanks for tuning into Arcade Brigade. If you like this podcast and want to consider becoming a supporting member, you can do so at anchor.fm or you can follow on all the social media. You can find me at RBP on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the other places out there. Just look for RBP. You'll be able to find me nice and easily. My name is Peter Perez, and I will continue to be the host here for Arcade Brigade and bring you guys some exclusive content that nobody else can give you. That's right. That's right. It only happens here. And for those of you who become a $5 or more, a contributing member get to get a direct invitation to our closed behind the door closed door sessions this is unpublished content that'll happen with our mastermind sessions where you get a direct invitation to meetings collaboration an opportunity to 
discover kind of the inner workings of some of the esports, blockchain, venture capital, all these other moving parts that exist in the gamified world. And we're going to help bring them to you. So thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next time.